Well, uh, grab your Bibles and flip to Matthew 8. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the pew in front of you. Uh, and if you're following along in that one, we'll be on page 1508. And if you don't have a Bible, you can take that one with you. Uh, that's, uh, we have a lot of them in the, in the building, thanks to a generous, uh, generous donation and their large print. If you're one of those people that has a cool little pink one with like size, you know, 0.2 font or whatever, like that might be helpful if you're like on the battlefield or backpacking or whatever, but you know, get, get yourself a little bigger font so you can see it a little bit, see a little bit better so you can take one of these. But I, it's really important for me, especially as we look at Jesus and just some of the, the things he said that have a little sting to them that you see that this isn't me making it up or my opinion or whatever, but that you're seeing it for yourself in, in Scripture, what, what Jesus said. Uh, and ultimately, that's what, we, that's what we'll stand before God and, and give a testament to. Like, did we believe what Jesus said and did, and did we follow him? Well, we're in a, a season of revitalization where we're trying to, as a church family, gather on this idea of following Jesus together, uh, this uh, vision of a group of devoted disciples following Jesus together. And I, and I, I'm just not sure what comes to your mind when you think of a, a church that was on the decline, that was, uh, that was dying, these, these uh, terms that the search committee used when, when I met with them, when they were, they were looking to hiring me. And then you think about revitalization, you think about a church that was kind of on the decline being revitalized, you know, what, what kind of images, what pictures come to mind when you think of a healthy church or a re- revitalized church? And I've just really kind of come to experience a little bit of conviction about kind of what came to my mind when I thought of a revitalized church or the vision of revitalization. Uh, some ways that, you know, maybe my uh, little G gods, like my idols, uh, things that might be good but aren't ultimate, uh, might have influenced kind of the, the vision of revitalization that, uh, that I had. Um, and because I think if we start with scripture, I think if we uh, if we just let scripture paint a picture for what church is, what, what a healthy church looks like, uh, I think, you know, you, you would see things that would look a little different than my vision. If I, could be, if I could be totally honest with you, when I was wrestling with what God would have me do with my life, uh, whether uh, pursue missions or being a doctor or be a pastor or whatever, I, I kind of had this picture come to mind. And I'm not saying it's, it's wholly bad, but it was, uh, it, was a, it was a picture where I was in a church gathering in like a sanctuary, an auditorium, and I was sitting three rows back on the right side facing the stage, and uh, the place was packed. There was a band on stage. It was kind of dark uh, in the room, and it's just a, it was just like an all-out worship fest. Like everybody's just having a great time. The band's rocking, and everybody's singing and jamming and, and raising their hands. And, and, I, and in, that, in that picture, I just had this like sweet sense of like, Worship wasn't happening here, and now it is. You know, this is something that I was able to be a part of. Like, worship, worship wasn't happening, and, and now it is, uh, which is, uh, you know, kind of a, a definition of missions. Like, you go to places where worship of God isn't happening, and you seek to have it happen, uh, which is, I think, a true and good picture. But I guess I've kind of come to see how maybe some of uh, my personality that likes a big gathering, that likes the, the energy and the hype, that likes, you know, a good driven guitar rift, uh, might, might have influenced some of the ways that I understood uh, stood church revitalization. Because again, I think when we look at scripture, the, what would just be way more prevalent, way more loud and upfront in our, in our face when we look at what the Bible describes the church being is just a group of devoted followers of Jesus, devoted disciples of Jesus Christ in a, in a place 
living life together around the word, around fellowship, around prayer, around communion. A group of people that are, that are together seeking first his kingdom and letting everything else fall into place. And so that's kind of uh, not saying that God might not let that vision come true, that we'll be back over there and packed out and, and rocking out someday. Uh, but that just really wouldn't be a win if we're not devoted disciples, if we're not following Jesus together, if we just, you know, pull our money together and hire Chris Tomlin or some great worship leader to put on a big show to get, you know, g- gather a crowd. I'm just not sure that would be, count as revitalization, even though there would be a lot of people here. And so I say all this because I just am floored by the providence of God in bringing us to these chapters in Matthew uh, and just the, how they look at authority, how they look at the, uh, the call to disciples to respond to Jesus' authority and faith and putting beliefs into action, all these kinds of things. Uh, God's just really smart, and uh, I'm just, I, feel, I feel his fatherly love, his fatherly guidance uh, as, he, as he's brought us to these chapters um, in, in, in the sermon series. Because uh, that's, that's essentially what we're going to look at today, is what, uh, I think the story of Jesus' disciples with him in a boat in a storm show us a lot, uh, a lot of realities of both what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and also who Jesus is and, and how he operates and how he relates to his disciples. So let's dive into uh, to our passage here. We're actually going to start a couple verses early uh, in verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into his boat and his disciples, into the boat and his disciples followed him. We spent some time last week looking at these, these super short conversations that Jesus had with these two uh, potential disciples. Uh, you know, one guy was very hyped. He had seen Jesus do a lot of miracles. He may, you know, might have been to a, uh, an awesome worship session with a great band and was really excited. I'm going to follow Jesus anywhere. And Jesus says, are you sure? Because you're going to have to die to yourself, die to, to the middle class securities of, of, of comfort and, uh, and, and ease. And then the next guy is like, you're, you're God, I believe in you, I want to follow you, but, but first, dot, dot, dot. But first I need to go take care of my family. And Jesus says, follow me. Let, let, let the dead bury the dead. Let, let them handle that and follow me. You follow me. I have to be first in your life. And then our, we get to our passage today. So after those conversations, it says, then he got into his boat and what? His disciples followed him. Matthew doesn't give us the answer of those two guys, the hyped wannabe disciple and the hesitant disciple. He doesn't give us what, how they respond. Does the guy go back and take care of his father? Uh, does, does, the, does the scribe, the teacher of the law who is all jazz, does he say like, okay, that's right. I don't, need, I don't need a place to lay my head. I'm with you. We don't know. And I think the reason that Matthew leaves those answers out is because he's kind of posing the question to us. Will we follow Jesus? And we see, again, that the mark of people who respond to Jesus, who receive him, 
is that they follow him. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. We see this pattern in Matthew where Jesus does something and his disciples respond. The Sermon on the Mount began when he went up on the mountain, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And we see Jesus around a lot of people throughout uh, his time uh, ministering, the three years that he was doing his work uh, on the earth here. And a lot of those people are called crowds. That's what what, uh, Matthew starts this passage on. He says, when he saw the crowds, he said, let's get into a boat and leave. We see Jesus always kind of downplaying the hype and the crowds, the big gatherings that are excited because of miracles that he's doing. He's always trying to get, it seems like he, he does those things, and then he wants to leave. That he wants to get away with the people who are really following him, the people who will get into the boat with him and go where he goes. And, and so, and I just really want to like paint this picture because one, it's a theme throughout all of Matthew: crowds, disciples, crowds, disciples. The crowds are interested and curious about who Jesus is, and they might want to get some free food and see some miracles that they can tell their friends about. And then there are people who leave everything and follow him. You can think of this as the difference between Instagram followers and like electrician apprentices. Like Instagram followers would have been the crowds, people who are curious, who like him, who want to know what's going on, see what he's posting, maybe even learn some inspirational tips from him as they're scrolling through their feeds. Whereas disciples would be electrician apprentices. Like if you want to be an electrician and you're starting from zero where you don't know hardly anything, what do you do? You go to work with an apprentice every day, day after day, and you go where he goes, and you do what he does, and you ask him questions. He lets you try things. You'll probably get shocked a lot as you learn. But I just want to keep these, these two categories, these two biblical categories of, of kind of Instagram followers and apprentices in our minds. Because to be a Christian means to be a disciple. I've been doing some reading on this and just the some of the like recent church history of, of how those things got separated where you could like pray a prayer and be a Christian but then not actually follow Jesus and kind of where that came from and what and what it was a response to and and what one author calls it a, a modern day heresy that that you could kind of separate these things that it would just be being a Christian would be up in your head only and not in your body and your life as you as you go throughout your uh, your life. We talked about it last week. Jesus, if he's going to be your savior, he also has to, be, has to be your Lord. A mark of believing in Jesus as your savior is that you will now, you will now lean on him and follow him as Lord, as master. So if you're following along in your bulletin, that's the first point. Disciples of Jesus follow him. They go where he goes. They do, do what he does. The second thing we see in this passage about what it means to follow Jesus uh, is that it's scary. We see that uh, disciples get scared. They, they feel fear. Look at verse 24, Matthew 8, verse 24. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are going to drown. Now, 
the the lake that they were on w was very low and it was it was below sea level actually and so the, around it were lots of tall hills and ravines and stuff and um, a, a lot of uh, scholars point out that this would have been pretty common these like sudden storms it wasn't just kind of this uh, out of nowhere thing because of just how like the warm air down low and the cold air coming down uh, from the down the ravines and stuff like that would have happened uh, pretty regularly and created very strong winds that would have would have in turn created very huge, huge waves. And it's been so tricky to chew on this because this isn't the disciples being anxious, right? Like this isn't them like worrying that a storm will come. Uh, like waves are sweeping over the boat. Like the boat is taking, taking on, on water. Like it wasn't an irrational fear. Like, a, like the, they're like out of touch with, you know, um, with with reality the other thing that's really interesting to think about is that a lot of the disciples were fishermen like they would have like since before they you know could walk probably would have been in the boat with their dad on this very lake fishing and they this wouldn't have been their first rodeo their first storm and it's just staggering that these like seasoned grizzled veteran fishermen like get to the point where they're just like in despair and they turn to what a sleeping carpenter like someone who probably had very limited experience on boats on, on this lake. But I think what this shows us is that like following Jesus, I think by definition is going to kind of bring us to that point where we're just at the end of a rope, where we're beyond what we know how to handle, even if it's an area of expertise that we might have. I just want us to kind of enter into this place where the disciples that are, yeah, I can, I can sail us across the other side. No big deal, Jesus. Tell me where you want to go. And they get to this point of just total vulnerability, just the staggering hugeness of the waves. And I don't think it's a huge stretch to bring this into our own lives and those places where you just feel so tiny in the face of the, this cosmic power or just the face of evil coming against you in the world or and I think this is showing us counting the cost of following Jesus is that it was something we should prepare for and we see that some of their fear is caused by the fact that Jesus is sleeping and again this is just such a mind-blowing thing to me because historically if you look at what kind of boats they would have used it wouldn't have been much longer than 20 or 30 feet maybe like eight feet across like this is not like Jesus is down in like you know a deep part of the Titanic where you can't really feel it like he probably would have been getting wet like it says he was on a cushion and mark uh and I was uh over at the Stephens and I was reading the storybook by Jesus storybook bible with June and she pulled, uh, went to this story and the pictures are so absurd, like illustrating this, they're so absurd, because it's like you're reading the book horizontally, and then when it gets to the big storm, you turn it up and down, it's a huge wave, and you see the boat kind of almost vertical, and then there's like one, and then you see Jesus, little Jesus, like just like laying flat, sleeping in, in, in the boat. Like just, there's no way to illustrate this that makes any, any sense, that Jesus is just so chill in the face of, in the face of the, this storm. And while it's kind of funny to see that in the Jesus Storybook Bible, again, if we can kind of enter into this, I don't know where 
where you are currently or where you've been in life, these places where it just feels like these life has staggering waves that we are like we're going to die. It's inevitable. Like we're not going to make it. And Jesus is sleeping. And we see uh, in Psalm in the Psalms that this is a this is true of the Christian life. That this is this is one of the ways that uh, Scripture calls us to pray. In Psalm forty four, it says, "Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever." Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Like, have you ever felt that way? Where you're just like calling out, like, why are you sleeping at the wheel, God? We're, we're going to die. I, I, can't, I can't keep doing this. In the disciples' words, they say, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. That's actually the translator doing, doing a lot of work there because in, in the original language, it's not even a complete sentence. It's just, Lord, we're, we perish. Like, it's just, uh, you can see them just like bailing water out of the boat, just like screaming like, wake up, we're, we're drowning. It's not like we're going to drown, it's like we are literally drowning right now. There's just like this really immense sense of abandonment, uh, this fear that comes from just feeling like there's no hope. We're not going to make it. And this person that they got into the boat with, that they followed into the boat, that they obeyed by getting into the boat with Jesus is just asleep on a cushion. And Mark 4 also has this story in it, uh, Mark chapter 4. And he includes the disciples saying to Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that we're drowning? And I just want us to really kind of marinate in the reality of this, that following Jesus, getting in the boat with him, kind of brings us to this place of real fear in that sense of, like, don't you care? Like, why are you asleep when all this is going on in my life? Where are you? Because I think if we can kind of come home to this being just a part of life, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see this in the Psalms, that this is one of the ways to pray to God, like, awake, rouse yourself, don't reject us. That, in a lot of ways, expecting this is a, is a gift. If we can let Scripture define our reality uh, to save us from the lie, the myth, that following Jesus means that it's smooth sailing uh, for the rest of our lives. If we can kind of let that let that be true then i think in a lot of ways it reduces some of the pain of suffering and trials uh what one one scholar i i read said up to half maybe even 70 percent that a huge percentage maybe even half of of the pain of suffering when it comes is not the suffering itself it's our shock it's our resistance it's our it's our our unbelief that this could actually be happening happening to us which is why James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of every kind, because this is how God will make you complete, lacking nothing. So I just want us to uh, allow this to come home to our hearts, that following Jesus will bring us to this place 
Like the, the disciples are in the boat because of Jesus, right? This isn't one just like going about their life and a storm happened to come. They followed him to this place. It will come. He was sleeping. And through it, the disciples got to see Jesus more fully. They got to see him as he really is. Look at verse 26. I'll start in verse 25. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and, it was cal- and, and the waves, and it was completely calm. So the disciples see Jesus as he truly is. This is why we follow Jesus, because that's how we see him. Just like if you want to know about someone, you got to do life with them. If you, you can listen to any kind of like preacher or politician make a speech, but it's like how do, they, how do their lives actually follow, follow it? And we see Jesus doing three things here. He's rebuking, he's sleeping, and he's saving. This is where I want us to spend most of our time here. We, one of the main reasons we follow Jesus is not because it makes life smooth sailing or we'll never be afraid. It's because we actually get to know him. We actually get to see him as he is. We see him in the abundant life that he came to give us. This is similar uh, to Job, the story of Job, who lost everything. It's this terrible, awful story. And after 43 chapters of this suffering and loss, and God took everything that he loved and left him with a nagging wife and some idiot friends and they just argue for most of the book, and if I and then God shows up, doesn't actually answer his question, like what, like on why he let all this suffering happen. But there's this one verse in the last chapter where Job says, "Before my ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you." And we see that in the suffering and the storms of life, in these moments of fear, real fear. We're not talking about anxiety here. Is is where we see we see God as He is. We see Jesus as he is. First, in the rebuking Jesus, we see him rebuke the storm, which is just crazy. Because the words, we don't have the, in this account, we don't have the words that Jesus, is, Jesus uses, but we read them in our confession, in the, in the Mark version. He says, peace, be still. Hush, be still. And this is like one of my favorite things about this passage, about this story is that Jesus, he doesn't, you know, wake up and put on his fancy hat and his special, you know, spiritual robes and then do some great incantation calling on incredible power from on, on high. Uh, and then, you know, there's a big lightning bolt that goes forth and meets the storm and wrestles with the storm and then barely overcomes. Like, you see him just kind of waking up and be like, stop it. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like barely awake. Like, he's, he, was, he was sleeping. Uh, and it, like, this is how you would rebuke a child. Hush. Stop. Be still. And I think this is especially, especially powerful when we consider uh, throughout Scripture and, and most ancient, ancient literature and ancient cultures that we have, the representation of like uncon- incomparable, uncontrollable, unmanageable power was the sea at storm was hurricanes and seas at storm. Even today, like if you compare the power of an atom bomb to a hurricane, uh, from what I've read is the hurricane just uh, 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 far and above has more power than an atom bomb. The sea was incomparable power. 
And we see Jesus half asleep, maybe with a yawn, rubbing his eyes, just treating the ferocious storm like a, like a petulant child. Just, oh, stop it. Psalm 29 says, The God of glory thunders. The voice, the voice of the Lord strips the forest bare. God sits enthroned over the flood. Like this brings pictures of like the destruction left after a hurricane. You know, a 150-year-old oak tree just stripped bare and snapped in half like a toothpick at, 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 at this wind that came out of the sky. What, what we see about Jesus here, what the disciples got to see in this terrifying place where they thought they were dying, where they were dying, where the, these seasoned fishermen are at the end of their rope, is that the storm's power is just a hint of the shadow of God's power. It's not that God has power that's bigger than the storm. It's that any power that the storm has is just derivative, just stems from, flows from, is on loan from God's power which is why Jesus can half asleep treat the storm like a fussy two-year-old. This is good news. This is good news to us, that this is how powerful our, our God is, that the storms in our life, both literal and figuratively speaking, only have the power that God allows them to have. They're never outside God's control. They're never beyond what he can redeem for good in our lives. But this also brings us to probably the most complicated part of this passage, or at least most uncomfortable part, which is the rebuking Jesus. He rebukes the storm. We like that part. But then he rebukes his disciples, this is super tricky because, it, again, it wasn't like they're just paddling along smooth water getting anxious about a storm that might come. It's like, you know, water is coming into the boat. And what does he say to them? You of little faith, why are you so afraid? That phrase, you of little faith, is one word in Greek, and so it's kind of like you many faiths. That's, that's how St. Eugene translates it. Uh, you, like you, 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 JV faith, why are you afraid? And doesn't that seem like a cruel question? Uh, because waves were coming into the boat, Jesus. Like, this is not a stretch. I was afraid because I didn't want to drown. And I think what we have for us here is just some, some pretty hard questions regarding faith for us to sit with and let the Spirit work in our, in our lives. It's the same, that, that you of little faith, it's the same word uh, that Matthew has Jesus saying in chapter 6. Is it God so clothes the, the grass of the field that he, he knows what you need, you of little faith? It's the same word that he uses towards Peter, uh, when Peter walks on the water later in Matthew 14, it's an amazing story. We'll get there eventually, maybe like 2022, um, <clears throat> where Jesus or Jesus calls Peter to walk on the water. Well, Peter asked to do it, and uh, it was such a hothead. 
And, and so he's like walking on the water and he's doing it and then he starts to sink and in the midst of a storm, he's like doing the miracle of walking on water and Jesus is like, you have little faith. <laughs> you know, why, like, why, why did you take your eyes off of me? And the word really has connotations of timid, like cowardly. Uh, the, I'm sorry, the word afraid, when he says, why are you afraid? It's this word like, why are you timid? Why are you, why are you being cowardly? And there's a couple of things I think this shows us, uh, shows us about faith. Is that there's something that the disciples had that they weren't using. That faith is something that we have to put to work and use. We see this in Luke's account of this story where he asks the question, he has Jesus asking the question, where is your faith? He doesn't say you don't have any. And even here, Jesus isn't saying you don't have any. He's like, you have little faith. You have a little bit small amount and and Luke he says where is your faith like it's not here like you you put it away and you need to you need to get it out and I think Jesus is showing us that that this reality that faith is belief in action I think a lot of a lot of times what we call faith is really just belief in like a mental agreement with a set of facts whereas Faith is like taking those facts and living like they're true. Like if someone, you, you know, you, you work in a hospital, you're a nurse, and you see this person coming in with broken legs, like all the time, you know, they get fixed, and then like two weeks later, they're back in there, and like, what, what happened? I've, I've, I jumped off my house, the roof of my house. And then two weeks later, what, what happened? Uh, I jumped off the roof of my house. It's like, that person might like believe in gravity, but is clearly not living like it's true. And so there's this element where Jesus is saying, uh, there's something that you have that you're not putting to work here. And I think that's what the sleeping Jesus shows us. He shows us how the children of God actually can live in the world, that they can sleep in this you know, absurd depiction of a tiny boat in a big storm. They can be at, at, at so much peace uh, in God's power over the storm that they, can, that, that they, don't, need to be, they don't need to be timid. You could think of it like someone who has uh, inherited millions of dollars in the bank being, being uh, afraid uh, uh, to spend money. Like, like why are you timid? Like do you, like, do you know your inheritance? Like, swipe the card. You have millions of dollars in there. Like, fix your card and live your life. Like, why are you so anxious about money when you've received all this? That's the connotation that Jesus has for us here. Like, why are you afraid? Do you know who, who I am? Mark has the question, do you still not have faith? Or do you, do you still have such little faith? Because e- even in, in this uh, string of events, the disciples had just seen a ton of miracles. That's what we've been looking through in all the, in all the authority passages. The, the, the faith of the centurion, he heals a man with leprosy. He, brings, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then there's just like this, this uh, catch-all phrase. And then he healed them of all their diseases and cast out all the demons. Like we, we get a picture of Jesus. Part of the reason him sleeping is because he was so tired from all this work he was doing, all this healing he was doing. And the disciples had witnessed all that. And, he, and, and he's kind of got also like, where's your faith? And like, do you still have such little faith after everything you've seen me do? Do you think 
I would take us out to the lake so that we, so that we could die. The other thing that disciples see of Jesus is that he sleeps. And again, we talked about how he kind of shows us how children of God, beloved sons of God, and sons and daughters of God live in the world. So they, they, they can apparently sleep through storms. We also see in Jesus that he's unhurried. Jesus is never in a hurry. He's above it all. He's beyond it all. He's holding it all. And I think we would, we would probably, even if these scary moments where it feels like we're dying, you could wake up, a little, you know, a little hurry would, would be uh, reassuring at this point. I think if Jesus is really God and really all-powerful, we don't really want him to be rushing around <laughs> putting, putting out fires. We hurry because we take on too much on our plate and we forget about stuff because we're imperfect. Like, I don't think we want God uh, in the flesh running around hurrying. We see that he's got a perspective as the Lord of the storm, as the one who has lent his power to the storms in our life. We want to know that he's got a bigger picture. Two, two simple examples of this. Today is one of our, our high holy days in our country, right? Because it's Super Bowl Sunday. And, uh, and so we're, you know, we're all going to uh, watch the commercials later and root against Tom Brady. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, that was, a, that was a distraction. So in football, why do they have coaches up in the booth, like way, way high away, far away from everything? So they can see everything. They, they, they have the, the full picture. You have coaches down on the field, like, why are they running on us? Like, we have the best, you know, rushing defense in the, in the league, and they're, and they're getting five yards of carry. What is, what is happening? And they got those fancy headsets, and they can say, like, well, your linebackers are too far away, and blah, 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 because they can see it all. Like, the, the coaches down on the field aren't enough because they, they're so too close to the action. They can't see, see the big picture. And if Jesus is Lord of the storm, if we can just glory in the hush, be still part, the just quit it, knock it off, you silly storm part, that we have to acknowledge that he can look at our suffering, look at those, these moments where we are terrified and feel like we're drowning, and, and have a different perspective. An another picture of this, a little more up my alley, if you will, was Elizabeth Elliot tells a story of observing sheep being put through this insecticide bath. This, they, they're kind of washed with something that would keep them from getting bitten and eaten by bugs, and it was something that they needed to do uh, in this place where she was at, because otherwise they would die. Like they would get sick, or I don't know if they get parasites or something like that. Like they would they would die, and but this required the shepherd to take the sheep, and like plunge their head under the water and hold them there for a little bit. And so if you're a sheep there, you're not feeling a lot of love from your shepherd at that point. But it's because the shepherd is a whole other order of being, right? We got sheep that will like literally eat until they die, and then we have a shepherd who's a human. You know, it's a, a different order of being, a different level of perspective, a different uh, you know, foundation of understanding for how the world works and what is to come. And so if we're going to have Jesus be Lord of the storm, someone who can just say, hush, be still, 
We also got to have Jesus who sleeps and maybe allows the storm to go on longer than we think it should. He says this real succinctly in John 16, verse 33. Jesus says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We could like take a, just a deep swim in this verse because it, it captures both of these things. Like You will have tribulation, but, but take courage, take heart, because I've overcome the world. He doesn't say, you will have tribulation in the world because I can't overcome the world or because I haven't. And he doesn't say, you won't have tribulation because I've overcome the world. There are both of these things. He has overcome the world, and we see that God's way of shaping us, of refining us, of making us complete is by allowing these storms to go on. And if we're going to have the all-powerful God, we've got to have space for him to allow storms and suffering to happen longer and more than we, than we would pick. The next thing the disciples see is, is the, the saving Jesus. And this is just good news to all of us, y'all. Because if we were going to grade the disciples' prayer here, where they just say, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Like, Jesus, we perish. Like, theologically, artistically, you know, whatever. We don't grade prayers around here. But if we were, this would not be an A prayer. This would probably not even be a C. Like, they probably have to retake the prayer class uh, based on this prayer. Probably like, like a D minus or something like that. But what does Jesus do? He still calms the storm. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. This is good news to us. The, the point of following Jesus, of following him into places where we feel at the end of our rope, uh, is, is not so we get real good at praying, but so that we get real quick to pray, to come to Jesus in whatever words that we can get out. The point is not the size of our faith or the eloquence of our faith, the eloquence of our prayers, but who we go to in those times, those times of trouble, what we look to for comfort. I've been thinking a lot about uh, addiction and kind of the, because I think it's a lot more common than we give it credit for. We have obvious forms like alcoholism or drugs or, or, or whatnot, but I think you see this real clearly in pornography that uh, you could, you, I've, addiction feels like something that only really bad people have or people that are really out of control, but I, I feel like addiction could be replaced to some degree with attachment. Like, what do we attach ourselves to in those moments? Like, when we're celebrating, what do we attach ourselves to? When we feel at the end of a rope, what do we, what do we latch on to? You know, it's like, it's part of being human is that we, we need something outside of ourselves. We need to latch on to something And I think what we see is that all of us, we have all kinds of attachments. We'll attach to food. We'll attach to oblivion, just checking out with movies. We might attach to pornography when we're feeling the storms of life. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's just finding some people to rant to or vent to. What we see, as we see Jesus, is that there's this invitation to attach to him to set our lives up as disciples to where in, in this place, when we're unsure, we, we latch on to him. And it's just a, it's just a desperate cry. It's a, it's a desperate cling. It's a, it doesn't require any form or any, any special merit on your part. 
and Jesus saving them from the storm, the basis for our ability to cry out to him in our pathetic D-minus prayers is the fact that he's already saved us from the, the one true storm, the only storm that can truly sink us, which is our sin and the, the just wrath that we deserve from a holy God. This storm really points us to, the Jesus facing this storm really points us to the, the one true storm that Jesus faced for us. When he was stretched out on a tree, utterly abandoned, facing the storm of God's wrath for me and for you, the, the wrath of all the things that we've ever done, all the evil that's been done to us, that we've done to others. This vulnerability that the disciples feel as the waves crash over the boat, Jesus felt to the utmost degree vulnerable and exposed, stretched on a cross, facing, facing the wrath of God for us. And listen, y'all, this is, this is what we have faith in. This is, this, is what, this is what we get out and use. When Jesus says, where is your faith? It's like he's saying, get it out. You need to use it. You need to put it to work. It's like if you're, you're, you're not using a tool that's available to you, this is what he's saying. You've got to get out the cross, get out the reality of my death and resurrection for you and put, and put it to work. Because I think a lot of times we think about faith as this kind of like impulsive thing. Like if we're really holy, then we'll just have faith. It'll just come. It'll just be like a, like a, like a gut reaction. And I think that this passage, this story is showing us that faith is something that we choose to use that we choose to get out, to put our mind on, to dwell on, to meditate on, to, sat, to read scripture and memorize scripture and to speak scripture and be around people that, that can saturate our lives with this truth that Jesus faced the ultimate storm of God's wrath for us and that he raised to new life so that we can know God as our father. So the Lord of the storm is now our storm and works all things out for good. The application for today, uh, my prayer is, is, again, that we just continue to reconsider faith, that, and especially this call to get it out, to, to use it in, in, in our lives, and then to consider all the ways that through either embracing or resisting, we might be able to do that more. Because it's not something that you just like wait until a storm comes and then you do it. It's something that we can cultivate and develop uh, all the time. And I think... I think if we could just ask the question, what is Jesus calling us to follow him in? Because as we follow him, he brings us to this place. Is there something that Jesus is calling you to embrace? More scripture. Jesus says that uh, if you abide in my word, you, prove you are my disciples. Maybe that's just something that even veteran church people, Christians, you know, we can kind of get to the place where we have all the basics in there somewhere, but our daily lives really aren't shaped or saturated with God's word. Maybe he's calling you to embrace that. Maybe he's, he's in calling you to embrace his unhurried way of life, to embrace rest, rhythms of rest. And on the other side, maybe Jesus is calling you to consider things to resist. There are things in your life that you need to to remove entanglements you need to remove that, that, that allow you to embrace this active life of faith. 
we talked about uh, talked about attachments. You know, if you're just like eating until you can't feel anything and watching movies where you know it's, people are sleeping around or just you know whatever, just chasing money or whatever. Like, might it be difficult to draw our hearts and minds in a meaningful way to to meditate on the the goodness of God's love to us and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus? I'm not saying those things are wrong or a sin or anything. We're asking. We're talking about what what, what helps us live in this place, that commune with God in such a way that we can sleep through the storms, through the, the what God has given to us in Christ can be, can be real to us. We'll talk about that in small groups this week, just what, what might Jesus be calling you to embrace or to resist, to, to live into this faith? What storms in your life is he, is he calling you to cry out to him and receive his saving, his saving work? If you're here today and you, and you haven't experienced that saving work, you, you, you've kind of prayed the prayer, but you haven't actually followed him, and so you've just kind of been living in this fearful, me- messed up, mixed up place for a while, like hear the good news of Jesus, that he faced the wrath of God for you. Let me pray.